1: Hi, friends, and welcome. I really appreciate you being here today. My guest is Scott D'Antonio. He is my brother of almost 43 years. I usually have successful friends of mine as guests on the show, but I like to include family sometimes, too. <laughs> and Scott, Scott qualifies. He's four years older than me. He's been a very successful family man. He's a married father of three. He married his high school sweetheart. He's the director of pharmacy at a hospital in the deep south. He's right at four years older than me and I'm sure that'll be evident right away because he's so much more mature and that'll come across. (laughs) I kid, I kid because that's when we spent most of our time together when we were kids. So how about that? As kids when he would tell you he was my biggest fan. (laughs) I would tell you I might have had a bigger one hanging from my ceiling, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Do you know I deliberately avoid using expressions or cliches like the one I just did? I don't know what it is I have against them, but I've given this some thought, as you'll notice as I share my thoughts with you. I don't think it's any sort of insistence On being different I've never been deliberate about that like um, I'm trying to be different but I do get told quite a bit that you're different or you don't realize how different you are and of course you don't like you're you're living your life in your own skin and you don't get to see behind the closed doors of others and we don't know who's fruitful relationship is a Facebook facade, right? Is there there a study out that shows that those who post the most pics of themselves making out with their significant other, that their relative happiness is more than yours? Because it's probably not. And we all know that at just like a surface level it's just one of those things you just see and you're like oh they're they're not happy they're trying to prove to us that they are but there are exceptions to every rule if i were 25 years old this is this is an example of what i'm talking about there's no way you would hear from my mouth honestly or to be honest i i just don't understand how you'd want to sound like everyone else, ever. It, to me, it just wouldn't feel right coming out of my mouth. And that, and again, that's not me trying to be different. I also don't say, it is what it is. I don't know why, maybe I should. It seems like the thing to say, I, but I don't fit in that way. Anyway, it is what it is. Today's episode, we talk about a lot of Because when my bro and I get together, we can talk about just about anything. And he's always said, you know, we probably wouldn't be friends if we weren't brothers. That's probably true because we're a lot different. But I'd like to think we're good conversationalists in that we're varied in our interests enough to where we can have conversations about many different topics. So... This is one of the topics we talk about. Fillers, ums, uhs, likes. It is what it is. We talk about that sort of thing. We talk about dating before phones and texting versus dating now and what that might be like because he has kids who are of dating age now. We talk about wanting to drink Coke when we were kids and instead our parents forced us to drink milk. So we'll give you some inside baseball on when we were kids uh, he tells a story since my brother's in pharmacy of watching the Super Bowl and Pat Mahomes going in at halftime, and the commentators saying, "Well, he's going to get a shot and he'll be okay." And my brother is just like taken aback. I can't believe that they just told America that. It reminded me, I was I was at a banquet and Chipper Jones was the special guest. And the format was Chipper and the host, who must have been a local radio host or something, because he was real good at asking questions. And he asked Chipper how he dealt with the brutal schedule of playing 162 games in the heat. And if you've ever played baseball, like, your arm always hurts. That's just part of being a ball player. And Chipper said, well, I would just take a couple of Vicodin and a Red Bull before every game and, and hit the field like it was nothing and I was thinking I can't believe he just told a baseball team it was a university banquet it was actually where I went to school Nichols state and uh couldn't believe he had told a bunch of kids that but um anyway where was I so we oh the the wide range of conversation it it kind of reminds me of the Parfait episodes where we just talk about anything and everything. And my brother and I actually met halfway between where we live, which is Baton Rouge and Houston. The midway point is Lake Charles. So we met at the Golden Nugget. And I said, you know, I'm going to bring my podcast equipment. Why don't we record one? And he said, sure. So the last time he was on was actually when he saved that little boy's life. You remember that? And that actually was a filler there. So I'm as guilty as the next guy. Only what is it? Only those in glass houses should throw stones or shouldn't throw stones or see, I, I don't even remember saying, so who am I to talk? But this I think you'll enjoy this episode because it's it's just two brothers telling stories and I think my my pet peeve with the whole it is what it is thing is just because I value my time and I wish more people valued not only their time, their own time, but others' times. Like a few Fridays ago I had plans to have lunch with a buddy. Ten seventeen AM I text him and say, Hey dude, we, we're still we still on for lunch and he said, Oh, Man, I'm sorry. My boss uh, has put all kinds of crap on my calendar. Can I take a rank check? Everybody remember my rule on that sort of thing. You want an inner circle. You want guys that would do anything for you and it's and, and vice versa, right? So you got to figure out who your inner circle is, and you do that by these little tests. and they're not tests per se. But if that guy really wanted to hang out with me, if he valued my time, he would suggest another day in time, would he not? Instead, what he did was, can I take a rain check? And I'm like, yeah, you can take a rain check. But he's 10 years older than me. I hadn't seen him in 10 years. So I had a pretty good feeling he was going to cancel. You know, there's this joke about how we should all have two-factor authentication on our phones, meaning... Whenever something sounds like a good idea on Tuesday, like, hey, we should have lunch on Friday, there, there should be more than just agreeing to do that thing on Friday than agreeing on Tuesday to do it on Friday. Because on Friday, everything changes. Like, how you feel is going to change. What is demanded of you by your boss is going to change. So ask me on Friday or give me a Maybe. My best friend and I have always been this way. It's like, uh, let me give you a maybe on that. You know, let's make a tentative. And as it gets closer, we'll solidify things. And I think that's a better way to go. And, and I don't know. I don't understand why more people don't act that way. I think it's because most people don't care. But. It tells me, that guy canceling at 10.17, that he values his own time time, 10,000x to 1, my time, if not 10,000x to 0. Do you think I will have lunch with that guy the next time he invites me to have lunch? Fuck no. No, there's no chance. So that's how you find better people to hang out with. And you tighten your circle. You hang out with people who wouldn't do that sort of thing. And so that's how you get around better people. I get asked this question all the time. How do I get around better people? Well, you better yourself, and you will attract that which you become. You'll start to recognize people like, oh, he just canceled at 1017 on a Friday for lunch. I would never do that, do that to somebody, especially without saying, you know, apologizing profu- profusely and offering to buy on Tuesday and offering a specific time and place. You know, if he doesn't do that, he's not your kind of guy. And I'm, I'm sorry, I keep referring to guys because that's most of my coaching clients and who I most interact with, of course. But I mean this for girls, too. If this happens to you, cut these people loose. They're not worth your time because they don't value your time, so. Sorry, just wanted to get that off my chest. (laughs) But um, the truth is we don't know what other people's lives are like. I'm I'm very guilty of this. I, I tend to assume others know what I know. But one thing I've discovered is that if people know what you know already, they usually don't mind hearing it again. In fact, it usually helps to hear it again, especially as it pertains to stuff we talk about on this podcast, like books and quotes worth internalizing, or making good decisions with your money, because money is something we handle every day. So we'll throw ticker symbols out, out there. Uh, We'll let you know what people are living on every month. You know, where else are you going to get that information? And so I try to get some insight into how people live so that we can all live bigger lives. I think of, say, J.L. Collins's book, The Simple Path to Wealth. The subtitle is Your Roadmap to Financial Freedom. I haven't read the book. I'd like to. I don't need to. I, I want to. Just hearing the principles of wealth building again, for me, would be helpful, I think. Morgan Housel's book, The Psychology of Money, I read it, I enjoyed it, I loved it, I thought it was excellent. So you don't obtain financial freedom and then stop paying attention. It's good to hear stuff like that again. It reinforces that maybe you've made some right decisions along the way and you absolutely need to maintain your convictions and... Old habits die hard. I don't know if I've said this before, but like my wife and I aren't spending 80% of our income. It just doesn't happen. You you just but like the place we're staying in right now in Mexico, $1500 a month. Yeah, we could spend more. Not to sound like a previous guest who said, "Of course I could spend I could spend more." <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. No, it's not like that. I'm just saying i'm not out here balling out of control i am i have figured out the number at which i can live on which is i equate the amount you spend every month with your lifestyle i have figured out what lifestyle my family can live and still be happy And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to do that. Figure out how much you need to live on and still be happy. That is a number, and it it can be quantified. So, just a suggestion. Let's get to my guest. This is his second appearance, as I mentioned, and hopefully won't be his last. When he was last on, as I said, he had just saved a young boy's life who was hit by a car. That was episode six, I believe, if you want to go back and check it out. It's it's an awesome story. He is a success, and to have a successful older brother is a cheat code. It's not fair, because it's always given me something to shoot for, something to aspire to. He's a married father of three, and I'll butcher this, but let's say his kids are 18, 14, and 11, something like that. And... Director of pharmacy at a hospital, works works hard, and is working on his golf game, as I understand it right now, as we speak. And he attends many of his daughter's soccer games in the Deep South. I asked if he was that dad, and uh, I'll let you decide if he's that dad. By the way, he answered the question. How about that? (laughs) But she's starting to get really good. Her name is Ella, so watch out for Ella D'Antonio on the soccer fields near you. And enjoy my chat with Scott D'Antonio, because I did, and I hope you do too. Cheek, welcome to the show. This is your second appearance. Are you more nervous this time, or were you more nervous the first time? First time. First time, why is that? Didn't know what to expect. You thought... I was going to throw questions at you that maybe you weren't comfortable answering?
0: No, I thought I would stutter and say um 18,000 times and sound like an idiot.
1: I don't know if my audience knows this, but ums are edited. Did you know that? No. You wouldn't believe that some of the smartest people we know have ummed and you knowed and liked... 175 times in one episode
0: yes i believe that because you wouldn't believe what it's like sometimes to sit at a conference and hear people peers talk like that for 50 minutes with ums and does and and likes and
1: oh the likes yeah tucker carlson had a segment on that last night and i don't watch tucker every night but he had a girl on that was talking about the fact that old-school courting where you talk and then it leads to a relationship, that no longer occurs. And he counted the likes in her saying this, and it was 18 likes in about 45 seconds of her complaints. So
0: i got two things
1: about that. Let me give two examples of that.
0: Number one, I was listening to the radio coming home the other day, And there was a reporter from the local newspaper in Baton Rouge talking about LSU baseball. And she proceeded for 15 minutes to say, um, like, this guy is the second baseman. And like, I think he's going to hit 300. And maybe, uh, like, I mean, we should expect like 16 home runs. And I thought, I need to turn this off. I can't even listen to this. I understand this person is a journalism major, but how do they not talk without these extra words? Things that kill me are extra words and sentences. Like, let's circle back. Clichés bother you. Why can't we talk in sentences and why can't we talk to the point?
1: Part of the problem is people are afraid to criticize others. And if you've never been criticized for it, then you'll never know better. True.
0: I can see in the real world approaching somebody that I might be a rival or somebody who wouldn't take it very well if I said, there are some people I can mess with. I know I could tell you. I'd be like, dude, you just said um 13 times. And you would be very conscious of it and would look for it. There are some people who would say, who do you think you are? You're an English major? You're right. I'm not. I didn't take English. But I try to focus on not doing those things when I talk, and it's hard. I mean, it's easy to say, um, but I listen to local sports radio and hear these guys. They're supposed to be trained in
1: this to do this for a living. And that's what they say the whole time. Um, well, my theory is that Obama made um cool again oh. because you were considered a dummy if you ummed and uh between sentences in everything you said. And he came along, and when he didn't have a teleprompter, he was uh, and um, and then all of a sudden, it's acceptable. That was okay. Of course. Nah. So I don't know where we stand now, but it's ubiquitous. It's very prevalent, especially among the younger crowd. And I'll have to ask my coaching clients, do you want me to correct you when you do this? And not all of them take it as well as others. Hmm. Not everybody takes constructive criticism as well as others. But I'll keep a little notepad. If we're doing a a Zoom or a Google Meet call, and when they say, he should have did this or whatever, I'll write, he should have done, and then kind of read the room to know whether, should I interject here, should I wait? I'll ask him at the end of the call, hey, would you like to be corrected? Because what I don't want is for them to be in a meeting or an interview, let's say, for a CEO job seven years from now and have seven years of, you should have did this. And it becomes habit, and then you're in a room with seven execs making a decision as to whether or not you should be an exec, and you're making all these grammatical oral errors. So I'm trying to help, but it is from the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, People don't appreciate it. They resent you for it. They'll remember that you corrected them and not remember what you corrected them for. You're critical
0: and you're arrogant and you're a smart ass because you're correcting them. But I feel like we were given a very good English background with the education that we got. I'll go back to high school and tell you that I got a really good English background, college, a couple classes that I took. I never took a speech class. So I probably will get up in front of people and and stutter, but I'm conscious of it because I hear it from other people.
1: And people lack self-awareness. Well, I don't like it. I don't like sitting there and just hearing it. It stands out to you. It doesn't stand out to those who lack self-awareness. They're going to do it, too. Well, I don't. I think in most presentations, most people aren't paying attention anyway.
0: They're, they're <laughs> on their true. phones or looking at their clocks trying to see how long before the end of it is fixing to happen anyway. So I don't think that.
1: I worked for a few different sales organizations, and I had never heard anyone criticized as harshly as when I went to a company that was a Fortune 500 at the time, and we had to present quarterly and these two guys were twins and one of them went first and must have ummed 15 times and his brother tore into him like bro what the fuck was that would you you're just gonna um us to death and i thought salespeople need that they need that kind of criticism and they need to be open to constructive criticism see when i hear ...that somebody's in business, I think, oh, they're a lifelong learner. Because you don't learn anything in business school. You need the experience. And a lot of business is communication. A lot of business is written communication. Some of the shit I see written is awful. And forgive me, he's going to listen to this... ...and he's going to know I'm calling him out... ...but I'm not saying his name, so it doesn't matter. But he was looking for a roommate to fill an Airbnb, and I said, send me the ad. He was having trouble filling it, even after taking my advice to have professional photos taken, still having trouble filling it. I said, send me the ad. I rewrote the ad for him. He put it back up. It was leased in 24 hours. And I said, what was the difference? He said, my new tenant said that the ad was written Like it was written by a lawyer. So he knew that a professional lived there and he was going to be living with a professional. So tiny little tweaks. You got to get good at writing. And it would behoove you to study communication. And I'll tell you now, my favorite book on writing is written by William Zinser. It's called On Writing Well. And I've read several books on writing. Get the book, read it. It will help you tremendously in your career, in your relationships, in, in everything. So, in all aspects of life. How many years of English did you take? I don't even think of that as being English. Because English, you read Shakespeare and BS that Some I don't care that, about. But you learned about run-on sentences.
0: You learned oh, about sure.
1: commas and Fragmented, quotation marks yeah. and semicolons. I mean, who knows how to use a semicolon? Well, a lot has changed. So... As an example, you don't put two spaces after a period anymore in online writing. Mm. That's considered a faux pas. That's a new development. Sentences are or paragraphs are becoming shorter. Because if somebody is reading something online and you see paragraphs with two or three sentences and then all of a sudden come to a paragraph with... 13 sentences most people skip that and read the next one so that's why i tell my guys make sure your email is good scannable like it's a good scannable email are you familiar with the internet term of tldr yeah too long didn't read that's
0: right
1: so you got to be concise
0: when i was dating before phones and texting and and all these things that you don't have to do anymore because you can just utilize your iPhone. I remember calling my in-laws house to speak to my wife for the first time. I called and said, hey, may I speak to Tony? Well, my brother-in-law answered the phone, who was probably like 11, 12 at the time, answers the phone and he says, hey, he's not here. And I said, no, no, no. I want to speak to Tony Jean. And he was like, oh, she's babysitting. So I had the anxiety of calling over there, speaking to somebody at the house, got got a brother, called her by name, but he thought it was for the dad. And you don't have to do that anymore. Now you just text the girl that you met at the mall, the gym, at work or whatever. And you have these text conversations without any kind of phone call or any kind of vocal interaction that you have to do.
1: Which probably further feminizes young men. If you never have to go through the anxiety of calling and getting past dad to talk to the girl, I had a crush on, let's see if you can figure out who this is. I had a crush on a girl when I was, let's say, 11, 12. Well, it probably, let's say 9, 10, 11, 12. It went on for a while. And I had to get past not only her dad who coached me but she had like four brothers, and one of them played on your team.
0: Oh, you're talking about the match
1: wrong, girl. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing like about- Like, give me a call, because One, he, one thing about give your me brother is that he,
0: he remembers a lot of people in a lot of situations. I'll be 47
1: this year. I do remember a lot
0: of BS that most people can't remember.
1: Maybe that's why we get along so well, but <laughs> I'm impressed that you remembered that. And she was a cute girl.
0: <laughs> and her dad was a nice guy. He coached me. I mean, our brothers were really good baseball players. One of them played junior college ball, and really? he actually he has—I I don't know if you want to mention names or not—but Philip was the brother that was my age. He when was we left-handed to hitter, real good hitter. Um, I saw him in Ruston in the mall when I was up in school in Monroe, and he had gotten married young before I did and had a family. But he has—I don't want to say—he's five or six children. But they're all really, really good athletes from softball players to baseball players. And I see him with social media and Facebook and stuff. But they live in Mississippi, I think around Brandon, Mississippi, and has very successful athletes, which I would expect because he was really he was really one of the best left-handed baseball players that I grew up with. And apparently he had a si- cute sister. He played junior college ball? I think he did. I think he had that opportunity. That's great. No, I didn't know that. If he's listening, he'll be able to confirm. Oh, I'm sure
1: Philip Bajron listens to every episode. I, you know,
0: he is a good old boy. I know he's into hunting and balling crawfish and doing stuff like that up in Mississippi. So,
1: And that's all we talk about here. So, yeah. In
0: Houston. I know that's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of crawfish, let, let's talk about this. We grew up in South Louisiana. When was the first
1: time you ever ate ball crawfish? I was 12 years old. I was watching the game. Where, was it Chris Weber called a timeout oh, and they didn't you know have that any was? left? It was 1992. It was.
0: I was probably a junior in high school, which means that was probably the first time I ate crawfish also. So we grew up in Thibodeau, Louisiana our whole lives and never went to a crawfish ball, never ate crawfish. And I can't understand why. Lent just started last week. And that's all people eat. Like, I'm craving it. I can't wait to eat it probably Next weekend at some point, and how did we skip that for years? We
1: barbecued probably every other weekend outside. It's because our, our parents were from New Orleans, and that was the big city in Louisiana.
0: I still have a hard time believing. They were Italian and Irish. Maybe that had something to do with it, but I can't believe that we never ate crawfish as kids.
1: Yeah, we didn't. We ate grits. We did. Red beans. Red beans on Mondays. Yep. I remember dad would always say, what are the kids drinking? And I would always silently pray, say Coke, say Coke. Just one time, say Coke. And it was always milk, milk. Well, I have plenty of meals
0: that I will only drink milk with. Red beans is one of them. I had roast sandwiches. My wife is a very good cook. She cooked some roast the other night in a crock pot with some pistolets and some mayonnaise. Milk. Milk and spaghetti. Love it. Most Mm -hmm. people would frown upon that. But as a kid, I wanted to drink Coke with every meal. Mother made us drink milk. Never broke a bone. Correlation?
1: You Uh know, I jumped off a swing in second grade. I remember. Well...
0: It was a Friday. I
1: was about to jump and kind of fell. So it was kind of an in-betweener. Yeah. I broke my right arm and sprained my left wrist. And so... I couldn't wipe anything. I couldn't write anything. I had to have someone at school accompany me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, that was second grade. I'll never forget. So, yeah, the milk didn't didn't keep me from doing that stuff. Well, if
0: not for that, you probably would have been okay.
1: Well, and then when I was 11 years old playing basketball for Coach Tom Abadie, who should be coaching the Rockets right now, by the way, giving up 71 points to Damian Lillard the other day. I mean, how, how does that happen? Anyway, I got upset. It was a tough time in my life, and I remember getting upset with our mother at one time and punching the wall, and I broke, the, broke bones in my hand, basically. But I, I punched sheetrock like a dummy, And I couldn't play for about a month. I wish I could have that month back.
0: I remember going to watch some of those games without you playing on the sideline against teams like East Bank, Jefferson Parish, East Bank, and losing. And thinking, Mm. man, if my brother was out there, he'd be putting up 15 points, 8 rebounds. This wouldn't even be a contest. In redemption form, you were able to play in the national tournament the and all that. And... Won all American honors and did win that tournament.
1: It's awesome that you say fifteen because that doesn't sound like a lot. Which I th- always felt like that was a credit to our team because we did spread the ball around and the best players didn't finish with thirty two. We'd yeah. finish with well, you only 15. scored fifty or
0: sixty points a game. I mean, I, you know, spreading that out amongst ten players is hard. I mean, you had ten all star players on that game. I mean. And by 12 years old, it wasn't like you had one stud player on that team. You had multiple athletes on that team that were good basketball players.
1: It's crazy. They tell you to cherish those years like those are the best years of your life. And, of course, you just blow it off. But, God, that was the best years of of my life. I mean, that's before you, you really get into girls and worry about all that. Your grade school is kind of easy. It doesn't get tough yet. Damn. So before we had to report for Nichols, we had to run 610-yard sprints okay. and then jog backwards. And Coach believed that this ensured strength of balance you in our up? legs.
0: It was a throw-up drill? Throw
1: up. No. So I would do it so that I wouldn't throw up once I got back to school. I didn't want to be throwing up. But we would do interval training in the weight room, and he'd set up a garbage can on either side of the weight room. So let me let me say this, I, not to cut
0: you off, but I have a person that I know that grew up with my, my oldest son that is a baseball player at Nichols right now. and. He pitched. He's a he's a freshman from Saint Amal. He's actually pitched a couple times already this year. And one thing I always knew was that you had told me was that you had to work. You this was a D one athletic program, and you had local kids that they would recruit that weren't willing to work as a D one athlete. They thought, oh, this is just like an extension of high school. It's nickels, and you had to go out and hit every day. And you had to run your ass off and be in shape and do all these things because you were a D1 athlete at Nichols. And that always stuck with me because I knew you had always put the work in for that. And that other kids who may have grown up in the area and been recruited didn't realize that. They thought it was like, hey, let's go to the bar. We're studs. We're baseball players. And this was a different ball game. Like, this was a different world. So mm-hmm. that was always something that you had told me and knew that kids that had come from maybe out of town to go to Nichols were probably going to work harder than some of the local kids because
1: this was the real deal. This was a D1 program. But Coach B.D. Parker insisted that he recruit locally. That was something he wanted to do. He thought it made him look good. And it bothered me because I wanted to show that I was from Houston, Texas. That's where I went to high school. So I wanted to shove it up Sam Houston's ass when they saw, oh, Brad D'Antonio from Houston, Texas. Why didn't we recruit him or UTSA or Lamar or any of these schools? We totally missed this kid. And he's hitting in the three hole, stealing thirty you know, whatever. One
0: of the one of the funniest things I I remember I
1: don't know if you remember this when I think Tony and I were married. Or
0: maybe not, but you were you were playing JUCO at outside, right outside of Dallas, and so we went to to a game one day, and you had a buddy of yours who played at Strake Jesuit, and he was up to bat, and he got a pitch that was borderline that called it strike, and he didn't like it, and he ended up striking out, and he goes back into the outfield, and at some point he screams from center field, and he says, "Get off your knees, Blue! You're blowing it," and they threw him out of the game <laughs> <laughs> from center. <laughs> Awesome! Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of funny stories I I remember watching you play ball. Like we went a couple other stories I'll tell about when you were playing ball because we we love that. We were first married and you were still playing ball, and there was one story at Northwestern where one of the kids had been hit in the face on a on a double play ball, which had some controversy because I think. Some of the kids from Nichols had gone out and messed with the mound, and so the team was pissed, and then they had, I mean, they hit the kid in the face with a double play ball, and I mean, they ruined his face. I mean, he ended up having surgery, and it was obviously intentional, and you told me there was video of me in the stands, like, ready to throw down, and it was almost a fight, and I just, that's just one of the stories I remember, that I was like, man, this was really messed up, how this happened. And then I can remember another story where we were at Southeastern and you had a teammate who had grounded the ball to shortstop, shortstop bobbles the ball, he gets on, and the dad is pissed because they called it an error instead of a hit. It was going to affect his batting average. And I thought, could you be less of a team player? Like, Let's win the game. Who gives a fuck if it's an error or a hit?
1: That same kid was crying during a game in the dugout. And I said, dude, you okay? And he said, it's over. I said, what do you mean? The streak, man, it's over. It was like the bottom of the eighth, and he had just had his last at bat. And his 32-game hitting streak was over. And so he was crying. Couldn't give a shit whether we had won or lost. Yeah, so I've had some some teammates. And we were so excited. I remember my wife, Tony was still up in Monroe
0: in nursing school, and I made a trip up to Monroe to watch Nichols play up there. And Nichols either won two or three or swept the series from ULM to be in first place. I remember the team was looking up at the scoreboard. They had Southland standings, and Nichols was up at the top. I thought, man, this is awesome. I mean, when you have a family member, you watch LSU football, and everybody loves LSU football, whatever team you pull for, you love, right? No doubt. When you have a family member that plays for that team, it's a different story. I mean, you are invested. You care about every at-bat. You care about his at-bat. You care about his stats. You care about everything along with the team. Like I can't imagine what an LSU football player's parents go through and family goes through because... Not only are they crushed if they lose the game, I mean, it's a personal deal. And, you know, to Coach LSU, who's more mad about losing a game than the coach at LSU and his family and the coach's families and all this stuff? Not me. I go home and life goes on. So when you were playing for Nichols, like that's how we felt with that. We were watching you beat ULM. Man, this is awesome. They're winning games and doing all this stuff. Y'all made a trip out to Wichita State after that. Like a sixteen-hour bus ride, whatever it was, out to Kansas to make this trip and play. And y'all's team was never the same after that. For the rest of the time, you were at Nichols. That trip, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was too long. I don't know what happened to y'all, but after that, it was done.
1: Yeah, we were deflated. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> but you were in first place. I mean, it looked like everything was going. Exactly like the coach had designed. And
1: after that, it was just never the same. Well, the coach had a relationship with people in Kansas. That's where he had come from, Mm -hmm. Butler Junior College. So I'm sure he was proud to take us up there. But Nichols usually lacks the resources to fly to Baton Rouge, much less Wichita. So... Had we flown, maybe that season would have ended differently, but we did feel like that was our year, and it went to shit.
0: And you know, one thing I learned from you over the years playing college baseball, baseball is a brutal sport. It beats you up. I remember playing, let's say, 15-year-old All-Stars, and I slid into third base and had a strawberry at the bottom of my ankle on the front side. I pull off the sock that day. Scab runs It pulls off. So I'm bleeding all over the place or whatever. I get up to play the next day, put a band-aid on it, pull a sock back on it. It's not healing. It's not going to
1: heal until after the season's over. Much less the shin splints and the arm. Your arm always hurts. (laughs) And you take pregame every game no matter
0: what. I mean, you're running on hard ground every time. If you're trying to steal bases, if you're running from first to third, if you're sliding into home, you're beating up your body. Every time. And it's not just
1: that. You start from a standstill. So you're sitting on the bench while you're hitting, and then you get up from nothing, and you take a few swings. And if that hitter swings at the first pitch, you didn't have much time to warm up. You went from cold on the bench to I just hit a ground ball to shortstop, and I've got to run as fast as I possibly can to first base. Mm -hmm. So it's... It's just prone to tear muscles, and I don't know if I told you this story. Chipper Jones was the guest at our alma mater banquet, our Nichols State uh, I remember that. That was a fundraiser, fundraiser. Yeah, yeah.
0: beginning of the season fundraiser at Nichols,
1: yes. Yes, and the format was they had a guy interview him up on stage, and they said, Chipper, 162 games must really weigh on you. How do you deal with that in terms of how it affects your... Your body, I mean, you've you've got to be hurting. And he says, a Red Bull and two Vicodin before every game. That's how I deal with it. <laughs> Man, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> and I thought, I can't believe he just said that in front of twenty-five college kids. But well, it was funny.
0: Did you? you they watched? got him. We got
1: him pretty hammered beforehand. So you watched the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah. So Pat Mahomes, two minutes before for halftime in the Super Bowl, hurt his ankle. The people on TV go. Well, I'm sure he's going to go into halftime and get a shot to make that feel better. With a T, what's it called? Toradol. Toradol shot. They gave him a Toradol shot. Yeah. Which is anti-inflammatory.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, they know that, that they're going to do that. I'm just amazed. These announcers who don't know anything about medicine, anything about pharmacy, Mm. anything, they know, oh, he's going to get a shot Mm -hmm. at halftime to numb it and make it feel better. You know what it's going to feel like after
1: that? No. It's going to hurt. Really? It's going to hurt. It's like going to well. hurt.
0: Absolutely. I mean, now. But you do
1: anything to get through that game. Uh, apparently. You would, have, you would have gotten a total shot, So look, shot, at, look right? at
0: dudes like, let's talk about like Earl Campbell. You ever seen him try to walk here over the last couple of years? Yeah. John Elway. Or Muhammad Ali. John Elway. Can barely walk.
1: Really? Oh. Oh, I didn't know oh, that. Oh, watch, watch a video of him walking. He's he's hobbling all over the place. You remember what dad used to call them? No. Denvelway. Yeah. <laughs> he was the I, whole team. I got a neighbor who loves Carl Mecklenburg. Carl Mecklenburg. He was 77. Mecklenburg. Pair <laughs> of sevens, huh? <laughs> Would you rather have a pair of sevens or, let's say, Queen-Jack offsuit?
0: Sevens. Sevens? Yes.
1: What about King-Queen offsuit or a pair of sevens? Sevens. Queen-Jack offsuit or ace-five? I don't think Queen-Jack is that good a hand. That's not what I asked. Queen-Jack offsuit is not that good a hand. Ace-5, I think, is a better hand. Give me Ace-5. Okay, you take Ace-5. Would you take Ace-5 over King-Queen? Yes. Really? Mm-hmm.
0: All it takes is to win one hit one card.
1: By the way, the girl you mentioned earlier, five kids of her own. Who's that? We've only mentioned one girl, I believe. Oh, bad By right. name. oh really? Yeah.
0: Can I cut for a second? My wife asked me to call her.
1: Sure. Okay. This is the first time a guest has said, can we cut for a second? My wife has asked me to call her. But you've got to grant your guest leeway. You want to be accommodating to your guest. Hey, what's up? For those who are starting a podcast. But ideally, he would leave the room or something so you wouldn't have to listen to him talk to his wife. Especially when he starts getting, hey, boo-boo. Hey, what you doing, boo-boo? I had this one guy on the podcast, I swear, we were together about three hours that day, and he must have called his wife four times. They were the type of couple who calls each other, like when one of them has gas, it's like, hey babe, I just want to let you know, like, do you have pethobismol at the house? Yeah, I'm starting to get a little cramp on my left side, and no, I don't know if it's gas, I don't know, but... Yeah, where is it? You know, they just like to talk. (laughs) So good for them. I guess they're madly in love, so they talk to each other a lot. But yep, that one guest, he liked to talk to his wife. Everybody's different. I don't talk to my wife that much. I guess because we came of age, or our courtship, which I insisted upon, well, there was a lot of texting as part of our courtship. And one of the things that I liked about my wife was that she texted in complete sentences. I was trying to date these other chicks that were texting like Mexicans. If you've ever texted with a Mexican, it's like one word and then another text that's two words and then another text that's two words. And it all makes one thought, but your phone just blows up. Bzz, 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 bzz. I don't know why they can't do it all in one text. Anyway, that's a little background on how Mexicans text. I do it all the time with taxi drivers. You back?
0: The text stated my daughter was actively upset, so I felt I had to address that. How old is she? She is 11.
1: Is that something I'm going to have to deal with? Because I'm dealing with it right now. My daughter is an angel some nights and a devil the next. Well, your daughter's two. She's two. There
0: is a terrible two- Phase. No matter what. doesn't matter who the child is. I believe they go through that no matter what. Now, mine is 11. And I can say, I don't know when girls start to develop into women. But I can say that mine has at a very young age. And it's tough. We're not used to that. We grew up in an all-boy household for the most part.
1: And that is a big, big change in life. I think that hurt us and helped us because... We didn't know much about women, but if you don't, then it's almost like you're more masculine because you're blind. You and I didn't know that women went to the bathroom number two until a few weeks ago. What? Yeah. yeah, No, no, they they, they 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 don't.
0: Yes, I'm telling you. That is a myth. There are plenty of myths, and you're, you're just making stuff up at this point.
1: Did you see the halftime score of U of H, Wichita State? It's a close game,
0: and it's on pace for the under.
1: It's not, and let me tell you why. There are a lot of free throws shot in close games at the end that usually bring the game over. So you want to be way under in the first half if you think you're on pace.
0: I'm on pace.
1: So if your over-under is 140, and you're at 35-35 at half, you think you're on pace, or you're, you're at 35-34? 35, 35. 34? I'm giving an example. I said if your over under is 140, is the over under 140 for this game? No, so I'm giving an example, obviously. I'm not. not. So if you're at 35 34, you think you're on pace if the over under is 140, but you're not on pace because you got to consider the free throws, right? Okay. Am I 64?
0: Uh, We'll see. We'll see what
1: happens. 64, yeah. So you double it's 128. You'd think you're (laughs) on pace if you're at 129, but I'm telling you, you're not. At 135, I'd say you're 50-50. What do you think? 50-50
0: is probably good.
1: I mean, we could check right now and see what the second half total is. So if you haven't gleaned this yet, my brother and I have been, I don't know, degenerate gamblers since age 6 and 10. We're not.
0: I don't think – We're even close to degenerate gamblers. Okay, so degenerate
1: is a relative term.
0: I can give you examples of what degenerate gamblers are.
1: Okay, give me one.
0: Having your wife find out that you lost all of your savings and having somebody knock at your door, that's degenerate gambling.
1: Okay, so the second half started. We won't know what the second half line was. Or is there a way to find out what the second half total is? Probably not. We're 11 seconds
0: in and we haven't scored any points yet, so I like that pace. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's a great pace. <laughs> Wichita State at home used to be really tough. Basketball, I'm talking no, about. Surprise,
0: they're 8 and 8. They played LSU for a national championship in baseball.
1: Well, that's not at home. You're talking about their conference record right now is 8 and 8. Okay. But I'm saying at home in basketball, they were almost unbeatable. But they, this year, they've slacked off a they lot. They were a
0: staple in the College World Series back in the day.
1: That's right. When
0: Will Clark was playing. Rafael Palmeiro.
1: Do you know who their studs were?
0: Wichita State. They had a pitcher. Darren Dreyford.
1: Darren Dreyford. There right. we go. Yeah. Yeah, we played up there. I'm sure you listened to the G. Cassard episode. Rondon Anderson hit the farthest ball I've ever seen, aided by a 50-mile-an-hour win, but regardless. Project Chick. Yeah. That's my that favorite was thing his, about Rondon. That's your favorite thing about Rondon. <laughs> Rondon used to say when his phone would ring, I got a bite. I got a bite.
0: I don't know if you've seen recently on Netflix, but there is a show right now about professional golfers. Mm -hmm. I think it's called Full Swing. Okay. And what it focuses on is some of the, let's say you played around on Thursday at the PGA Championship, and then they watch you go home and cook a steak And sit here and watch a basketball game or watch yourself on TV that evening and talk to your family before you go out the next day and compete for a championship. I bring that up because I really like the show. And actually, Tony watched it also, which I thought was impressive. So, it's very, very interesting to see the human side of that. Plus, to think about when you were in college and after y'all would play a game like that, go home and play a game of Madden. Play a game of MLB 2001 Hmm. And sit there and play that game after a game just to relax and do whatever after you played a Division One college baseball game, and it's very interesting to see the human side of all that stuff. I can remember Grandma Hilda going to watch a baseball game on a Tuesday night, and she's sitting there in the coaches committee section because she says, "Oh, that's my boy Brad. Can I sit here? Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, no problem." And show you're on first base after a walk or a base hit leading and you slide in the first when they try to pick you off and she's there going waving at you like hey Brad <laughs> Hey Brad <laughs> It's the human side of all that stuff. I mean it's more to it. I mean we're watching it, we're doing all that stuff. But these guys are still human beings playing these games.
1: It's very, very interesting. That game I got kicked out of Tulane. Didn't go to that game and I'm still upset about that to this day. Well my other grandma was at that game. And when they threw me out, she was standing behind the dugout as the policeman escorted me off the field. I mean, it was a big deal. She leaned across the fence and said, I'm so proud of you, Bradley. And I'll never forget that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So anyway, getting back to degeneracy. Yeah, it's, it's relative, but we have been betting on... Tecmo Bowl games and things since we were young, and we met in Lake Charles and recorded a podcast, and we couldn't help ourselves. We thought, hey, while we're going to record this podcast, we'll put a game on, and we'll put 20 bucks on the under, because when you don't pay attention, those are the games I think you want well, to play the under. Well, no, I mean, I'm not paying attention, really. <laughs> are you? Um, nah, not really.
0: The Just the points, like 15 <laughs> minutes and... 10 minutes, and we're going to use algebra. I mean, something we learned over the years of where we are at that point to see how it's going to extrapolate out. Okay, so
1: you are paying attention.
0: Well, I mean, one thing we use in work all the time, I spoke with somebody the other day who says, we'll never use algebra. Like, why did I fail algebra or why did I have trouble with algebra? I said, unfortunately, I use algebra every day in my career, whether, whether it's budgeting and extrapolating or calculating Drug doses over a period of time, I use X over 12 equals blank over eight. I mean, that's how I budget things. Really? Oh, absolutely. 100%. My dad was a big accountant, and he was always in budget. But budget is a guess to a certain degree. But you're basing that on previous numbers. So I'm going to take last year's number, which was eight months of data, and say $100,000 over eight equals X over 12.
1: You multiply that, and X equals the number that I'm in budget for. That's algebra. True that, my man. So the last time I had you on this show, you said that your favorite part of the country, and we're in the U.S., by the way, (laughs) was the Northwest. Is that still true?
0: Yes. I'll tell you why. After going through different parts of the country, I live in the Deep South, and an area that is famous for corruption, roads that are dilapidated, potholes, things like that. When I go to an area like the Pacific Northwest, it's funny to see areas like that with a building that has 1920 on it. That's when that was established. That's brand new in the history of our country. New Orleans was what? 17 something. New England's in the 1600s. So, That area is brand new, recently settled. I I don't know. Have you watched any of the shows like Yellowstone and 1883 and any of those? Have you watched any of those shows?
1: I don't watch TV.
0: Okay. Well, if any of your listeners do, this was a story of people populating that area. People from Europe that had to go through this stretch of accomplishing crossing rivers, disease, all those things to get out to claim this land out in Oregon, Montana, Idaho, all these places that weren't really civilized. So it's very interesting to see somebody tell that story. Mm-hmm. But those areas are, are relatively new in regards to being civilized or being occupied. So you can tell this is the point their tax dollars are about preserving nature. Making it a beautiful place. I'm from Louisiana. We live on the Mississippi River. There's a plant every five miles, which generates energy, generates fuel. But it does pollute the river. It's amazing to me to fly out of New Orleans on an airplane and look out to the right and see where the Mississippi River cuts through Chase, Plaquemine Parish. There's nothing there. Like the next hurricane that wipes through St. Bernard Parish and stuff, it's just going to demolish it. Because there is no wetlands, there is no protection, there is no nothing. And we did that through oil exploration, any of that. It's all taken whatever protection we had out there. It's disappointing. But to go to areas like that where the air is just clean and the water is clean and they protected all that stuff out there, it's impressive.
1: But you're headed up to the other side of the country this summer, right? You're going to go to the Northeast? We will. I will give my wife credit.
0: She is a big Excel spreadsheet. Let's go on a vacation. Let's do XYZ on Monday, ABC on Tuesday. We follow this. We went to Canada last year in the Canadian Rockies. Fantastic vacation. And she had planned out. But I need a rest at some point.
1: I was we- going to say, I wouldn't like that. <laughs> Have you brought your daughter to Disney World yet? I don't plan to. No, no. never? She's going to want to go. She's got grandparents. But she's going to want to go. But she's got grandparents. Yeah, but she's going to run and
0: ride t rot and she's going to ride Dumbo with you.
1: Oh, shit.
0: <laughs> it's a small world. She's going to run, run and ride that with Dad, and I'm telling you, it's hard with little kids. But it's something, it's something you, you get ready. You're going to have to do that.
1: So, speaking of the Northwest, let me ask you this. If you had Wednesday through Sunday up there with me or with a buddy of yours, which venues would you hit up? All right. So, I had a friend of mine bring me to
0: the place where – you ever watched Deadly's Catch? Have you ever seen that? I've seen that, Okay. So, there's a whole monument and area that's dedicated to everybody that's been lost at sea out there because a lot of those ships are based out of that Seattle market there. In fact, oh. there's a dry dock and you go through it to get there. He brought me there. He showed me like where the salmon, he showed me the salmon fish in this area and the monument and all that. I'd bring you to that because I think that's impressive. Mount Rainier, dude, you've never seen, well, you probably have seen, you've traveled <laughs> and you've seen awesome stuff. But in the States, yeah. Mount Rainier is my favorite. The park, it was so big. We went to different areas, it took a whole day. You run out of internet service. You got nothing. You're just driving around trying to find places to do stuff. It's just awesome. It's just nature at its finest. So we would definitely do that. Our family went on a a whale watching tour, which I thought was really... We've always been tour people. When you were in Dallas, we went on the JFK tour and, and Dallas tour just to see what that stuff was, historian. So we went on a whale watching tour, which I thought was fantastic. I had one day... I thought this was the best. I got off a plane one day for a meeting. Meeting wasn't until the next day. I rented a car. And I just drove straight from the Portland airport to the Pacific Ocean. It was Cannon Beach. didn't know where I was going. I drove up. I drove through snow. I drove through all this stuff. I ended up at Cannon Beach. I wanted to put my toes in the Pacific Ocean. It was freezing cold. Walked over. Put my feet in there. Sat by myself at a restaurant. Ordered fish and chips and eight, and then just drove back to Portland that night. But to me, that was just a memorable trip, just something that I really, really enjoyed doing by myself that night. And another thing I liked to do when I was up there, we, we had a lot of meetings that were out by Mount Hood. I would drive to Mount Hood. I would get on the ski lift and drive up to the top, wherever however far they would let me go, and just stand up there. And like, look at the mountains and and stuff. We're not used to that. We're like, we're from South Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So mountains and snow and all that stuff. Like, we're not used to that. So going to that was just, I don't know. I just
1: loved it. I just thought it was fantastic. If I lived up there, I might not like it as much. What about sporting venues?
0: (laughs) It's funny. One of my friends up there texted me today and he was like, hey, they were up all night last night at some meeting up in Portland or Seattle and... Back in the day, what we would do, we would would go to this meeting and at the end of the night, we would end up at this place in Portland and we would eat pizza at two o'clock in the morning. Like This place would just hand you pizza out of the window. So we'd sit in the parking lot and eat pizza. And that was like the best time. Every time we talk about that, that was what we would do up in Portland. But from a sporting event, one time I went up there from Portland. I drove up to Seattle and I hung out with my friend. That's when he brought me to the... Daily Catch area. And so on that Sunday, I was like, hey, man, what you doing today? And he's like, no. Nope. He's like, I'm just going to sit at home. I said, all right. I said, well, I'm going to go to the Seahawks game. So I went on Ticketmaster, bought me one ticket over there. I was going to go to the game. Russell Wilson was a quarterback. They were playing the Redskins. I walked up. The people that I bought the ticket from knew me because they knew the name on the ticket. And they were like, hey, Scott, how you doing? I was like, oh, fine. I had to buy It never snows in Seattle, right? Like, it's only rainy and and whatever. It snowed that day. Hmm. I had to buy gloves. I had to buy a hat, which I still have, Seattle gear, and froze my ass off while watching this game. Like, 17 to 14 Redskins, they end up winning Hmm. that game. But I wanted to experience what the Seattle sports scene was, and I I had a great time.
1: Was it loud? Yes. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Louder than the Superdome? Never. Really?
0: I don't know. It's hard to compare. At Do you think I the was.
1: Superdome is louder than LSU Stadium? No, because there's more people at LSU Stadium. Okay.
0: But I have experienced LSU games at the Superdome, which I thought were louder than anything I've ever... You know the loudest thing I've ever been to was an LSU-Florida game in 2007. When Jacob Hester ran for like four first downs on fourth downs, and they beat Tebow in that Mm. game, and they announced in the middle of the third quarter that USC had lost that day, and LSU was number two, and USC was number one. That was the loudest thing I'd ever been to.
1: I went to the Johnny quarterback game where they held him to nothing. I mean, I think he had 42 passing yards. I don't even remember his name. What was his name? Manziel? Johnny Manziel. Manziel? (laughs) Yeah, I had to see him play, and he did nothing. It was wet. It was a brutal game. I was at the Darren McFadden game. That game went into multiple overtimes, right? Double overtime, double 50, overtime. Fifty to
0: forty-eight, loser.
1: Fifty to forty-eight loss, and they still won the national championship, right? What year was that? Oh seven. It was. Yeah. Right. Okay. Who
0: they beat in the national championship game?
1: I don't know. Ohio State.
0: I remember being. We went down there for the game. We had tickets, and I remember being at like Resus or something like that, and some guy saying, "Hey." This is bullshit. Why we got to play LSU in New Orleans? I said, where would you rather play the game? Like in Cincinnati? And he goes,
1: yeah, you're right. <laughs> did you see what Damian Lillard did to my Rockets the other night? 71. Do you know when we were kids, Michael Jordan, the Bulls would beat the Trailblazers like 86 to 79? And now Oklahoma City who you can't name a player on the team, Not a one. will play the Rockets and they will have a score which was an all-star game score when we were kids? Is it just lack of defense? Are they shooting so many threes? Is it like a Theo Epstein thing where like they've brought in all these Harvard guys to figure out that we need to shoot a bunch of threes to score a bunch of have points? You,
0: have you seen what the three-point shooting looks like? No, it's ridiculous. They shoot thirty to forty three pointers a game,
1: and is the percentage high? Is yeah, it's so, well, okay. I mean, it is okay. So they're better shooters. Be. If you
0: shoot forty and you make ten, you still got thirty points.
1: So that's you know? what the deal is. Yeah,
0: I don't think anybody drives into the lane anymore. It's all about shooting.
1: Yeah, and we know Jordan would do the mid-range jumpers yeah, all day and two, all day. If he played today, how many you think he'd average?
0: I don't think he would shoot from three.
1: You don't think? Nah. Well, you got to adapt. Every I think
0: once in a while, but still, I he think is. he'd
1: score sixty-two a game because he would have adapted and, and shot threes just like everybody else. Maybe I mean, who's Stephen Curry? I mean, he's not going to let <laughs> Stephen Curry score forty-eight and he scores thirty-four yeah, I mean, he every could night. Dunk every time, that's true. He could dunk. What's the best live sporting event you've ever been to?
0: Can I list some of the ones I've been to?
1: No, because I know the answer. I'm like a lawyer. I don't ask a question. I don't All know the answer to All right. So the best one I've ever been to
0: was 1997 LSU versus Florida.
1: Okay. That's not what I thought you were going to say. I'm sorry. That Did you cry at that game?
0: To. Did I cry? No, but I ran on the field. And for the first time in my life, that probably is the best one I've ever been to.
1: But there is a game you cried at.
0: Hmm. Cry a lot of games. <laughs> All right, so you're talking about the 2009 NFC Championship. Yes, yes. against Brett okay. Favre.
1: Yeah, you know. And the Vikings.
0: All right, let's separate it into college versus NFL.
1: I didn't want to do that, but All go right. ahead.
0: well, the best college game I've ever been to was the 1997 upset. 17-point underdogs versus Florida and Spurrier. No chance we ever win. I have tickets in the last row of the upper deck. And somebody hands me tickets on a 30 yard line, 20 rows up, and says, Here, I'm not going to this game. There's no way we win this game. And we do. And Ooh. we run on the state. We run on the field. We can see us on WBRZ news, run it on the field, me and my friend Wyatt. And unbelievable. How old was I? Twenty, nineteen? Couldn't believe it. Unbelievable. That's awesome. All right. Let's talk about the NFC Championship. Okay. So let's talk about both NFC Championship games that I've been to. So the first one, we did win. We beat the 49ers. We beat the shit out of Brett Favre. The 49ers. We beat the Vikings. I'm sorry. Did I say 49ers? Vikings. Unbelievable game. I can remember Adrian Peterson fumbling right before half, which was a big, big deal. They scored. We scored. It was back and forth, back and forth. And Brett Favre had a chance to win this game. And I can remember, I went by myself. I had a ticket I paid five hundred dollars for a That's ticket.
1: Why you go by yourself?
0: Yes, and <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't bring your wife to that. You go by yourself because this is the biggest game you've ever been into in your life. Sat by myself in in the middle of a bunch of Saints fans. I mean, it was fantastic. But you are living and dying with every play. That's one thing about sports. When you're playing a game on a Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, you're not into every play, life or death. This game was like that. Mm. You're pacing the whole game. This is for something you've never been to ever before in your life. And the Vikings have the ball at the end of the game. They're driving down the field. And Brett Favre threw a pass across his body that was intercepted. Unbelievable. So the Saints get the ball. They drive down the field. They kick a field goal. And, I mean, yeah, you're crying. I saw many a grown man crying that night because this was something you never thought you would see in your life. We're all superstitious, right? Teams that you like, you don't think they're ever going to win because everybody's against them. It doesn't matter what kind of fan. You always pull fun on a dog, but if you're a Lakers fan, a Celtics fan, a Patriots fan, you think you're going to lose, and everybody's against you. Saints had never done this in their life, and they make that kick, and you cannot believe it. The next day, I took off of work. I took a PTO day because I knew I would have to recover, I sat there and watched Sports Center all day long and <laughs> cried every time the field goal, the kick went through the <laughs> upright. <laughs> so let's talk about the second NFC championship game. Okay. So I bought some tickets from a coworker of mine who had they were almost in the same spot as the first time I sat. I brought my son. His grades were good. He had become a Saints fan. I said, son, we're going to the game. This is going to be the greatest day of your life. You're going to love The Saints, let's hope they win, but this is to go to the Super Bowl. He says, all right, Dad, I'm in. We go. I remember it was a cold day. We sat out there, and we talked to some people before the game. We go in the game early, take some pictures, do all this stuff. They play in the Rams. Saints go up. I think it's 16 to nothing. All right. But they just need one more score to put the game away. The Rams run a fake punt. They score after that. It becomes like 16 to 7. Next thing you know, that's the call. Game comes to the end where the NOLA no-call happens. Pass interference. Everybody sees it. The air just goes out of the Superdome. In Dior Stadium, the air just goes out. Saints get the ball. They throw interception, whatever. Dude kicks a 59-yard field goal, whatever it was, to win the game. But he made it like what there was 20 yards to spare with no doubt. My son's sitting there. He looks up at me. He goes, You said this was going to be the greatest day of my life, and it wasn't. They lost. How do you recover from that? Mm. Not only did that ref on the field fuck us, he fucked my kid and Mm. me for the
1: rest of our lives. How old was Luke at that time? 14, 13.
0: Rob, dude, and I, I don't think the city will ever get over it. It made you think that sports was rigged and all this stuff, but... I mean, they ended up robbing him of a good Super Bowl. It would have been Breeze versus Brady. You remember that Super Bowl? You know what happened? 13-3, to 3, Patriots.
1: That's right. Garbage game. Garbage. Yes. Tell me about what it was like when you found out your son had a form of autism.
0: Well, you know what ended up with my son? My son used to sit in the back seat in his car seat. Let's say we pulled up for a red light. And we had taught him that red light means stop, you know, light means slow down, green means go. We would pull up to a red light, and he would say that 10 times. And you were like, okay, man, okay, okay. The most upsetting thing about, there was a couple things that happened with that. I remember bringing him to daycare, and he had gone to the, apparently, I went to pick him up. And this lady walks me into the parking lot, and she goes, is there something wrong with your son? So what are you talking about? She says, you know, he kind of went to the bathroom and he was kind of confused and he's looking around and you know might have been looking at other kids or you know just didn't know what to do or whatever. And I wanted to punch that lady in the face. I was like, what? (laughs) Hey, lady, what are you trying to say about my kid? But at the same time, it gives you a realization that maybe there are some issues. So. We also had some issues with Catholic school where we went, we, we grew up in Catholic school. And so we wanted to send our kid to Catholic school despite having really, really good public schools where we live. So we sent him to Catholic school and he had a nun teacher that we got all his reports about how he can't focus. He can't do this. He can't do that. And he's just struggling until the point where the principal talked to us and said, your child would probably do better in public school. Now, as a product of Catholic school, that's a big punch in the gut. But let me tell you, that was the greatest thing that could have ever happened in life. My son went to public school, and he kicked his fucking ass. He graduated with over 3.5, got an academic jacket, scored 25 on his ACT, and now he's at Nichols. That's better than I did. Yeah. So you know what? It's possible. There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. This is one thing I will tell you and I will tell your listeners. Don't ever give up on your kids. It doesn't matter what. I don't care if anybody tells you that they're crippled, handicapped, can't do this, can't do that. Fuck all those people. There is a chance that your kid. Now, my friend, Dr. Bucky Allison, as one of the best dudes, he always told me that Luke would be okay. He's got some issues still, even at nineteen. But don't ever give up on your kids. I'm sorry, I get emotional when I talk about my kids. Especially that one. Cause he's come he's overcome a lot to do what he's done. You know, one of the harder things too. My middle son Noah is in Boy Scouts and one of the kids in Boy Scouts with him. I was asking him about Luke because they were both in RTC and he said he said, Mr. Scott Not everybody likes Luke in ROTC because he's intense and he takes everything so literally, all that stuff. And, you know, it's hard to hear that stuff about your kids. But I had the teacher of the ROTC come to us at graduation. He said, I would take a kid like Luke every day.
1: Well, one of the things you said to me not long ago that I'll never forget was that You and I were standing in the kitchen, and Luke walked by, and you said, he lives in a better world than we do. What did you mean by that? He doesn't care what you think, and he doesn't care what I think, and he doesn't care what anybody thinks about him.
0: And living in this world, everybody's worried about what everybody thinks all the time. And sometimes keeping it simple just seems like the best thing. Like, like if he's not worried about anything... How awesome is that? I mean, it's good and bad. There's definitely some positivities to it, but I know that that guy goes to school every day, and then he goes back to his room, and he chills, probably like he would do at home. But what's he worried about? He's not worried about anything. He's not worried about chicks. He's not worried about money. He's not worried about... He needs to worry about his grades. I mean, I get on him about that. But other than that, and his life, probably forever is just going to be simple and...
1: How terrible is that? I don't know. We we all make life way more complicated than it ever needs to be. How many kids should Miriam and I have? Is there a right and wrong answer to this? No. I'll give you one more. Two. One more or two more? One more. One more? Two. I think you should have two. You think I should have two? I do.
0: I see you have a D'Antonio boy. You know, one thing I can tell you this about our family. My... Aunt Patsy. I don't know if you ever talked about Aunt Patsy.
1: On the podcast? No.
0: Okay. Well, that's my dad's sister. One thing she told me was that she really appreciated me carrying on the family name. Oh, that was nice of her to say. Because our family, there was one son, our dad, who had two boys. Yeah. And it was our job to carry on the D'Antonio name. So, that's... Well,
1: we did. So I don't have to. That's what I did. No, I'd love to have a boy.
0: Look, I I mean, I have one son who probably, he may live with us forever. So I don't know if he's going to.
1: Well, the program he's in at college is called. Bridge to Independence. Does that not mean bridge to an independent life?
0: It's more. Yes, it is. But it has a lot to do with, with getting a career and a job. I don't know how much it, uh, it just trying okay. to develop them socially.
1: So I know you would have liked your kids to play the sports that we were obsessed with as kids, but they went the karate boy scout route. I have buddies who have girls that are so glad that they didn't have to deal with all the politics and stuff that come with sports. And they tell me it's only getting worse. And my buddies who have boys, they're like, Oh, this select ball is a racket, and you're paying $35 to park, and it's just a money grab, and it's BS. And how do you feel about that?
0: I decided to be involved in Boy Scouts when – what was my role? Do you know how to camp? Were you taught how to camp as a kid? Mm -mm. No. Were you taught how to cook in the wilderness as a kid? No. Absolutely not. So my son came home, and he wanted to be a Boy Scout. So what is my role in Boy Scouts? My role was to be one of the troop leaders, like the committee chair. I could do that. I could call a meeting. I could discuss finances. I could discuss that. But my son wanted to do that, and I would participate as much as I can. I went on campouts. I learned how to pitch a tent, learned how to cook out in the wilderness as much as I could, but that's what he wanted to do. So you adjust to that. My daughter wanted to play travel soccer. I'm all about it. I'm competitive. I want to win. I want to do all that stuff. I enjoy it. I love her team. I've known the kids since they were five, six years old when I coached them in rec. I want to see them succeed. So does that possible. take
1: the place of the boys? Well, really? you know, maybe,
0: but, probably. But you're going to get involved in no matter what your kids are going to do.
1: Are you that dad? Borderline. It sounds like you might. Well,
0: I don't coach. I don't coach the travel team. In fact, I've learned my job is to yell at the refs and apologize to the coach for yelling at the ref.
1: At what age? do you start thinking about scholarships for her or the possibility?
0: Let me say this. We just spent a weekend out in Hammond at Strawberry Field, which they've done tremendous work over there, by the way, investing in the facilities and all. So we went to the stadium and watched the Dutchtown girls and the Dutchtown boys play at a state championship games over there. In order to be a college athlete for soccer, like you have to be involved in – pre-MLS, Olympic development teams, all that kind of stuff. Do I see a future in that for my child? Eh, maybe not. But I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. If she wants to play high school soccer in advance, I'm all about it. If she wants to be good, I will invest resources. I will invest resources in my child to make sure that he can go to college. If my son is involved in the bad crowd and has issues with drugs, drugs alcohol. self-esteem, those kind of things, I will invest in a specialist to help him. If my daughter wants to be an Olympic soccer player, I would invest the funds to make sure my daughter gets to soccer.
1: Have you been putting money away for your kids college since they were little? Yes.
0: And in one year, one of my kids' funds are gone. What do you mean? College is way more expensive than when me and you went to college.
1: So you're a little behind?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think so. There's going to yeah. be some loans taken out. but well, We I, did it. But our parents did too, yeah. and I mean, I if you get a big boy job, then my goal is for you to take some of that big boy money and pay some of those loans back.
1: Are their friends doing the same? Are they going to take out loans? I
0: don't know. I haven't talked to many people about that.
1: I didn't have friends who took out loans. No? I don't think so. I think every one of my friends' parents paid for their college. See, I would have thought
0: everybody took out loans. Everybody I knew I thought took out loans.
1: But you're not sure.
0: I think my friends all had loans. Most of them had loans. But you're talking about being $100,000 in debt versus $20,000 in debt.
1: If you had to start over, let's say you're 18 years old right now, would you... Go the same route? No. You wouldn't? What would you do?
0: Because school is way different now. I don't like what our profession has started to – I'm a pharmacist by trade. They have started to say, you need to do a residency. You need to be a specialist. You need to do all this stuff. And if you look at nurses, nurses have done schooling with nurse practitioners and, and things like this that can prescribe and do a bunch of stuff. I think they're making school too long. I think if it's going to take me eight years to be a pharmacy director and then do some kind of specialist rotation in administration, I wouldn't do it. It's too long, especially with an impatient generation that's going on right now. Like everybody wants everything now, right? Like You don't want to wait 10 years. So what is
1: that? All right. You ready to do some fun questions?
0: Absolutely. I love fun questions.
1: What percentage of poker is skill and what percentage is luck?
0: I had a guy tell me one time who I thought was a really, really good card player. And I said, hey, what is the key to being a card player? He told me the cards. <laughs> the, these people that tell me, I, I, I can relate a story to that. I went to the Beau Rivage one time when I, for my birthday and I wanted to play poker. And I remember getting a pair of queens and I bet the, I bet pre-flop, I bet the flop turn. And the river came an ace. And I remember this guy sitting across from me. And when that ace turned, I was like, Ugh. he could see it in my face. I didn't like the ace. And he started running off at the mouth. He says, oh, I wish I had more money in front of you. I can't believe you only have a hundred dollars in front of you. Oh, I put you all in. I mean, Whatever. And so I thought about it for a second. You said, I said, you know what? I call. And he sat there and goes, You call? What are you doing? I turned on my queens. He's like, I can't believe you called. What an idiot. I said, What do you have? He didn't even he threw his cars away. So <laughs> a lot of it's luck. It doesn't matter. I, I can remember going to Vegas one time. I went all in when I hit the top of the board and some guy called me. With the bottom pair. And of course, the river came, the bottom pair that he had for trips. Is that luck? Is that skill? What, what is that? At the end of the day, I got up with no money and he had my money. Percentage? I'm going to say 35 luck, 65 skill. That's what I think. You can push the action all day long and sometimes you win doing that. But sometimes you get caught.
1: What's the ideal age for a kid to have a smartphone? With social media on it. I'm
0: going to tell you 11.
1: Does your 11-year-old have a smartphone? Do all smartphone. of her friends?
0: They do, and they text each other and group text and all that kind of stuff.
1: If you were given $3.5 million tomorrow, would you quit your job within six months? Yes,
0: but I'm 47.
1: Let's say 40 years from now, you're in reasonably good health, and you're given the option to live forever. Do you take it? Only you. You're the only one given the option. No one I'm living. I'm like, sure. I want to see everything. Have you ever been to a church service that wasn't Catholic? Yes. Which was
0: it? I went to a co-worker's funeral who was African-American. And so me and a co-worker walked in, and I witnessed people speaking in tongues. I witnessed people falling out. And then I witnessed the preacher at the time say, hey, this is running too long. Uh, We need to hurry up and and say your goodbyes to the family so we can hurry up and get to the the
1: cemetery. Unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) If I gave you $100,000 and you had to invest it in either Apple or Amazon, where would you put the money?
0: Give me Amazon. You know why? Because pharmacy is moving. There's a big move into pharmacy Amazon right now. In fact, my friend texted me last night that they were at an Amazon pharmacy meeting last night.
1: If you were in software, you'd have a different reason. Sure. Like it, Maybe. It, Amazon has so many tentacles in so many different places. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, but we can look around this room that we're sitting in right now. I have Apple iPod, I iP- earbuds, phone. You've got a laptop.
1: The thing about Apple is it's nearly half of Warren Buffett's portfolio. Can you imagine having half of your money in anything? No. And he has it in Apple. He says it's the greatest company that's ever existed. Okay. And he's... Do you believe that? Oh, I don't know what to believe. Okay. But he's the most sophisticated investor, supposedly, that's ever lived. Half of your wealth. He could lose that, though. He could. Yeah. Yeah. Would you rather win a gold medal or a national championship?
0: I'm going to tell you national championship because it's a team thing. And as you get older, you realize that the team is way more important than the individual.
1: Is not wanting something just as good as having it? I think the one is always stronger.
0: Like these were rare.
1: He's showing me a beer can. I'm showing
0: you a beer can that was rare, that was released very in limited quantities. And I wanted it because I wanted to try it. And I tried it, and it was okay. But the want was greater than the having it. Although I was satisfied when I I was like, wow, I didn't mind spending that money to get it. But the want was greater because it was rare.
1: So the question was, is not wanting something just as good as having it? I wanted it more than, than I had it. Let's move to the next question. Let's say you worked in a high-rise building and got stuck in an elevator and your phone died a few minutes earlier and nobody's answering the emergency button. What would you do with yourself?
0: I would just sit there and think.
1: What do you think you'd think about?
0: Well, I think I'm going to get out. I'm in an elevator. Eventually, somebody's going to find me. Right. I'm thinking about what am I going to accomplish when I get out of here? I had that happen to me one time in East Jefferson. Really? Yeah. How long were you in there? Uh, 20, 30 minutes.
1: Were you scared? Yeah. No. Because you inter- knew somebody'd get you.
0: But the interesting part is that you're stuck between floors, so they can open up those two doors and look, and there's a floor and a floor in the in the middle, and you're like, "Oh, I'm just gonna hop out of there," and they're like, "Oh, no, 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 stop, stop, stop!" Mm. I'm like, "What do you mean?" This thing could move at any time and cut you in half. And you're not thinking about that. Like uh, you think you can just jump out of it. Yeah. But there is that reality that this mm-hmm. thing could move and cut you in half.
1: Yeah. So Well I've been to Vegas shows where people get cut in half all the time. It's not that big a deal.
0: It's a little different there, brother. Yeah, you're gonna get cut in half like bleeding all over the place. And last
1: you know, time it. I had you on, you had just saved a kid's life who had been hit by a car. So I'm going to say that's probably the best thing you've done for someone. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you?
0: You know, one of the coolest things that's ever happened to our family, let's say this. During COVID, at the beginning, when we were working our asses off, we had some friends that came and did a, a parade in front of our house. And dropped off. You remember, the toilet paper was sharded and, and they put a cake. You like, you couldn't, you couldn't like interact with people, but they passed down the street and like put that shit on our driveway, and it was a cheesecake and gift certificate and all that stuff. That's probably one of the nicest things. I, I know, I remember my wife crying about that because she, she was so emotional about that. Who so. did it? Some neighbors and friends, a lot of the Pinot group that my wife plays with, their husbands and all that stuff. So that was that, was really that cool. is cool. That was a really cool thing.
1: Well, Scott, as I call you Chico D, that's what you are in my phone. And I had a, a client of mine asked if he could reach out to my brother. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. And I sent him your phone number, Chico D. And I said, but don't call him Chico D. No. No. There's only one person who can refer to me as that.
0: Although I, I find if people give you a nickname everywhere you go, they probably do like you to a certain degree. That's
1: so. absolutely true.
0: And I can say that I've gotten a lot of different nicknames over the years from high school to college to work. It's about not taking life too too seriously. Life's a journey and we've been through some rough times and and difficult times, things we couldn't explain and I don't know. We're, we're a couple of lucky guys. We, like I say, we, we've had a solid foundation to build on. And I think in another 20 years, when hopefully I'm retired too, and we sit there and we can go do stuff with our kids and grandkids and say,
1: you know what? We're all right. We did all right.
0: And I think that's the goal. The fact that, at our age, that we can sit here on a Thursday night and BS, and then we'll probably go hit card table. And at the end of the day, if we lose, it's okay.
1: Yeah. And
0: if we win, it's even better. <laughs> and, you know, I've had to learn over the years that it's okay to lose. I mean, you can't take it personal. You have to. That's I think that's the the difference between degenerates and and is that hey, at the end of the day, it's it's just a game and it's just yeah think of it as be fun
1: think of it as a percentage of net worth and you'll yeah you'll be a lot cooler about it we're 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 okay yeah all right right. and
0: and i'm sure you're you people you surround yourself with are okay and and me too
1: that's right well thank you for doing this cheek i really appreciate it It it's fun all right let's go do something else let's do do it. it
0: all right my brother